Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture today comes to us from two different gospels. The first is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And then Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. If you'd like to turn in your pew Bible, the first is on page 77. And feel free to use your own translation or your mobile device to follow along. Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. You can turn back to page 43, Mark 10, 17 through 22. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and I'm grateful to be with you today. Last Sunday at this time, I was with my friend Jay Locklear, sort of, as we were both at an event called Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a conference youth event held uh, for the North Carolina Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, and we gathered in Rocky Mount with 1,600 teenagers from across the conference for a a weekend of worship. And, you know, it's an event that's been going on for quite some time now, and it's always amazing to me when we tell the kids what we're going to be doing, we're going to worship. Friday night worship, Saturday morning worship, Saturday night worship, Sunday morning worship. And they go, and they enjoy it, and they have a great opportunity to be together. And you could see the hunger in these youth that gather together and 
worshiping together. And Jay is one of the worship leaders for pilgrimage. And Jay is a dear friend of mine that uh, go back many, many years. You think my puns are bad. He's been hearing them a lot longer. So I am thankful, though, that Jay has been able to step in and to help us during this time. And thank you for all that you've done, Jay. And it is good to be back today. I had an opportunity to worship with Orange uh, over this week. I listened to Reverend Gallagher's messages, and I'm thankful for his message that he brought. I had a chance to listen to it twice. That will become evident as we go forward a little bit. There was one particular line that stood out in his message quite a bit. I'll reference that in a little while. Before we go any further, let's go to God in prayer once again. Lord God, in this time as we come together, our hearts are filled with so much gratitude. Thankful for the many ways you've been at work in our lives. Ways that we've received those nudges, that encouragement. And today, God, may we receive that nudge once again. Speak to us, Lord, for your children are listening. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. In the summer of 2014, particularly in the months of July and August, there was a challenge that swept across the world. Anyone want to take a guess at what that challenge was? Ice bucket challenge. That's right. The ALS ice bucket challenge. This was this challenge where people would have water, a bucket full of ice cold water poured over their heads. And it was a way they would do it on video and they would challenge somebody else to do the same thing. And it was a way to bring awareness and raise resources, raise funds to help fight ALS, commonly referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. And so people were recording videos and putting them all on social media. Over $200 million were raised as a part of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. There was over 2.4 million videos circulating through social media of people doing this. And in fact, I did some research and I found a particular video that took place out here in the parking lot of Orange United Methodist Church. We're going to share a link to that video that if you want to go back in 2014 uh, to 2014 and see Reverend Ken Hall was leading the staff of Orange and he in issued this challenge. In fact, in the video, Ken challenged University United Methodists and Christ United Methodists, the staff of those churches, to do the ice bucket challenge. And it was a very personal challenge for this church because one of our members had been diagnosed with ALS and after a short period of time, they succumb to this disease. And so we have experienced what the ice bucket challenge was about, and it meant something to this church because people love a challenge. 
I mean, if you get called out, you love a challenge. We love a challenge. I remember in school hearing about the principal would challenge all the students to read a certain number of books. And if you read enough of the books, then the pr principal would have to do something like take a pie to the face or kiss a pig. Any of you remember those kind of things? Yeah. We, we love a challenge. And so as a child, I would be inspired to read a book because I wanted to see my principal kiss a pig. People love a challenge. I mean, we contribute to fundraisers for a particular school if it's going against our rival school because we love a challenge. I mean, maybe even at work, you participated in a weight loss challenge, and so you're able to help one another, uh, be, hold one another accountable. My wife and I, we have these watches that track the number of steps that we have. And so every now and then, Jennifer will send me a step challenge. Well, guess who's getting extra steps today? <laughs> That's right. We like to challenge one another. I love a challenge. And people love a challenge. Sometimes they'll challenge me to incorporate a certain word or a phrase into a sermon. And so I'll try to figure out how can I weave this chat, this word or that phrase into my sermon. I kind of have a feeling if you heard Reverend Gallagher's sermon last week, maybe somebody issued a particular challenge to him because he read from a quote. He read a quote from one of John Wesley's sermons on the use of money. And let me just reread this quote. If you weren't here last Sunday, th this was a good quote, one that uh, tickled the ears of all who heard it. Of the three rules which are laid down, again, these are words of John Wesley, you may find that many observe the first rule, namely, gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Have you reason to believe that 500 of these are to be found among 50,000 Methodists? And yet nothing can be more plain than that all who observe the first rule without the third rule will be, and here's the fun part, will be twofold more the children of hell than ever they were before. Greg was highlighting that Wesley would saying that the people that live into that first rule, that to gain all you can and then save all you can, but don't live into that third rule of give all you can. He was calling them the twofold more the children of hell. You know, my wife was telling me about the sermon when I got back home and I had not yet had a chance to listen to it. And I thought she was saying children are hell. And I'm like, hon, I know that Greg didn't say that. I know he didn't say that. She said, no, you're not listening. But John Wesley was saying that if we live into these first two without the third of giving all that we can, then we're not really living into who we're supposed to be. And in a way, this idea of finding 500 out of 50,000, that sort of sounds like a challenge. That sort of sounds like a challenge that he was wanting to see, could we find 500 out of 50,000? We've been talking about a challenge for the past several weeks. We've been going through this generosity challenge. We've been trying to figure out the ways that we could live into being who God has created us to be. And we began a few weeks ago by talking about how we were made in the image of God. And God made us in such a way 
that we are to be a reflection of the attributes of God. God is a God of generosity. And so we ourselves were born to be generous. It's in our nature to be people of generosity. It's who God made us to be. I've shared with you before, but one time I was on a mission trip to, uh, to Atlanta and we were doing a special program for children in a very impoverished area. And so this day we had set up a carnival that we had invited the kids from the neighborhood to come to this carnival and we were going to give them free food and there was going to be opportunity for them to get candy and all kinds of sweet treats. And so as these children came from these impoverished areas, they came and I was doing this thing that I always do. It's I, I do it at trunk or treat. I'll see kids with a bucket of candy and I'll say, oh, is that my candy? And no, a lot of times they'll pull back. But there, these children that had nothing, when I'd say, oh, is that some of my candy? They'd reach into their bag and they'd extend it and offer it to me because we're born to be generous. And I didn't need that candy. Trust me, I didn't need that candy. But they needed to give it because that's who God made them to be. We ourselves were born to be generous. And when we are we're reflecting the image of God. But our generosity comes because we're grounded in gratitude. We talked a few weeks ago a few weeks ago about what it meant to recognize what God has done in our lives. We're not who we used to be. We are a new creation. And because how God has transformed us, we respond with that gratitude. Last week, Reverend Gallagher offered the opportunity to remind us of how God reveals God's will through prayer. That we're to be in this constant communion, constant conversation with God always. And today, we're talking about through our generosity. Our generosity is sealed by faith. It offers us that nudge, that challenge. Today, we read two different passages of scriptures that are very different passages but have a lot of similarities. I know you've already heard those words read, but... I think it's always helpful to go back and to re-envision this story. The first passage of scripture that Pastor Corey read was the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, we know about old Zacchaeus. Earlier this year, we even had a chance to talk about Zacchaeus and how he was transformed through this meal with Jesus this time shared together. But what we know about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. And Zacchaeus learns that Jesus is coming to Jericho. Jesus is coming and he is curious. He wants to see what the big deal is. Now, as the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus has prospered very well. He had become a very rich man. And as we learn from his own words back to Jesus, very likely it is because he had defrauded many people. And so Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. He's the person that people avoid when they pass him on the street. He's one that people just despise and dislike. But Zacchaeus is drawn because he wants to see who this Jesus is. The curiosity leads him to this point. But as he gets out there waiting for Jesus to come, there's so many people coming. There's so many people there. And Zacchaeus, I love the way that, that it's mentioned in the scripture. It says that he's short in stature. And so Zacchaeus, he can't see, can't see over. So what Zacchaeus does is Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Now, folks, when was the last time you as an adult climbed a tree? I mean, anybody in here that has climbed a tree in the past five years? I haven't. 
We, we quit climbing trees because it's dangerous. The branch might break. We might fall. And trust me, when you get to be my age, some of you will find out one day. But when you get to be my age, falling now is a bit different than when I was younger. Zacchaeus, though, he climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus. Think about that. Don't miss that. He climbed a tree. Uh, everybody could see him up there. Can't you imagine the people pointing fingers saying, look at old Zach. He's climbed that tree. Just like if you saw me climbing a tree today, you'd be saying, what is he doing? But Zacchaeus climbs that tree because he just wants to see Jesus. And so there he is. He's looking out. I imagine people mocking him, pointing. But he sees Jesus, and Jesus sees him. The scripture says that Zacchaeus, Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. Come down from there. I need to go to your house today. I'm going to your house today. And so Zacchaeus climbs down, and, and it says that they go to Zacchaeus' house, and it says that Zacchaeus gladly receives Jesus. Now, I don't know what the conversation was like as they were making their way to Zacchaeus' house. The gospel writer didn't feel the need to record that for us. But I think Zacchaeus experiences pure love. Jesus sees him. He knows his name. He calls him by name. Jesus seeks to spend that time with him. And something happens within Zacchaeus. People are pointing and mocking Jesus. Look at this one. He even eats with sinners. But something happens to Zacchaeus. The scripture doesn't record Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, you've been messing up and it's time to get it right. Or you're going to be a child of hell. No, he doesn't say that. Just... All we know is Jesus is with Zacchaeus, and something happens, and Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Zacchaeus. Something happens in Zacchaeus' life through this interaction with Jesus. Something happens so much so that he's willing to give away half of everything that he has. He gives half, he's willing to give half of everything he has to the poor. And if he's defrauded, I mean, he knows he has. But if I have defrauded anyone, then I'll give four times as much. Jesus, Jesus, I can only imagine the, the joy that Jesus has. I mean, Jesus receives this from Zacchaeus and says, today... Today, salvation has come to his house, to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus had been lost, but in the love of Jesus Christ, he had been found. And he responded to that love through this generosity, through willing to sacrifice of himself, to giving it away. So that others might come to know who Jesus is too. Zacchaeus was transformed. And as this act of repentance, Zacchaeus is going to live into this new life. Now that second passage of scripture that Pastor Corey read, we don't know the name of the individual. But we know that what we find is that this rich young man, this man of great wealth, comes to Jesus. And he asks him, good teacher. What must I do to be saved? 
Now, this man has probably been a good person in society. He had followed all the laws. He had been obedient to the religion and practiced his, his walk and by not doing all these bad things and trying to do all these good things. And so, as he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? The only good is God. But, he says, you know the commandments. And Jesus begins to name many of the commandments. And I can picture this man standing before Jesus. Yep, yep. Never defrauded somebody. Never killed somebody. I've honored my mother and father. Yep, yep. I've done all the good things. Yep. And he says, Master, I have done all of these things since I was a youth. And Jesus says then, oh, it's hard. Jesus says, it says, Jesus looking at him loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. You know, when it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, I bet I can almost picture it's the same look that he gave Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to spend the day with you. I can imagine it's the same look and the same love and same compassion in the voice of Jesus Christ to this person. Jesus knows this person, they're not ready for that challenge. You lack one thing, to sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But the scripture then says, when he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. One of the saddest passages of scripture that can be found. Similar stories, both well-to-do, both having an encounter with Christ, but one that is willing to step up and respond to the challenge and one that walks away. I get it because it's hard. That next step of that challenge is hard. And I can't imagine if Jesus walked in the door today and told me to go and sell all of my possessions and to give to the poor and to follow him. That would be hard for any of us to do. And so I have sympathy for this man, but I do believe that God is calling us to take our next steps, to take our next challenge, to accept the challenge. And it's hard, but it demonstrates a faith, a trust in God. That when we're faced with a challenge that God puts before us, a nudge, we respond, and it's hard, but we must demonstrate that faith and that trust. Several years ago, I was at a conference youth event one summer, and we were broken up into smaller groups. And one thing that our group was doing was something called a trust fall. How many of you are familiar with trust falls? Yes. Trust fall is where an individual stands on an elevated place, maybe a stage or a chair or a table, and they are to stand and turn their back to the rest of the group, and they fold their arms, hold on to their shoulders. And the rest of the group gets behind them, and then they extend their arms facing one another so that the person falls and they catch them. They catch them, and when there's just a few people, we're able to catch this person, and they fall, but do not fall to the ground. They're caught. And it's just simply this practice of learning what trust and learning what faith is, having faith that they're going to catch you. But one of the instructions that we always have to give when somebody is doing a trust fall is when you hold on to your shoulders, make sure you do not let go. 
letting go, which is our natural inclination because we want to brace ourselves. We want to catch ourselves. But hold on and trust. Have faith that you will be caught. But one time, I remember one of the students that was participating in a trust fall, even though they had seen several who were caught and did not fall to the ground, they let go of their shoulders. And when they let go of their shoulders, their arms became extended. And their elbow connected with the nose of one of the other students who was there to catch them ended up having a broken nose and blood was everywhere. It was awful. When we don't demonstrate our faith, when we don't demonstrate our full trust, there's harm that happens. I talked a few weeks ago about when your car is out of alignment, when just one wheel is out of alignment, it causes harm to the rest of the vehicle. And when our lives are not in fully alignment, maybe it's with the way that we're generous. Maybe it's in the ways that we pray. Maybe it's in the ways that we demonstrate gratitude. When our lives are not fully in alignment, it causes harm. Sometimes it's harm within us. Sometimes it's harm within others. But today, this is about us bringing everything back into alignment. This is about us living into that image that God has called us to be. This is about us demonstrating the faith that we have, and belief that God is at work even through this season. We have been inviting the congregation throughout the past few weeks to, to respond to the generosity challenge through making a commitment to the church. Maybe that, that's hard to do sometimes for us because we don't know what the next year might bring. But just simply making a commitment is that first step. It's taking that next step so that we might truly be an image of generosity, that we might do that. We've invited you to do that by going uh, online. You can submit an online pledge card. You can fill out one of the cards that is found at the back of the church and submit that. And the only people that see these, that encounter these, are the people in our finances that, off, that oversee all of the record keeping and put that together. But that's just simply that way that we live into Making that commitment to God. Making that next step. And the thing is, I had someone one time say, well, I don't want to fill out a pledge card because what if I get behind? Is somebody going to come and call me out? No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to come knocking on your door saying, hey, it's time. But it's our way that we say, God, I have trust. I believe. I have faith in you. And so I'll return this portion back to you. And we know that those gifts are then utilized to help transform other lives so that somebody can come to know who Jesus Christ is. But that first step begins with you. How might we demonstrate and that we are sealed by faith, that our commitment is true? Today, I invite you to take that next step. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we give thanks for the many ways that you have revealed yourself to us. The way that we've seen and experienced your love. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to respond to that love. We can respond through acts of generosity, through demonstrating our sincere gratitude, through sharing your love and what it is you have done within our lives to others. But God, give us the courage to take that challenge, to step up, 
to make that commitment that demonstrates we truly have that faith and trust in you. God, we pray these things today in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.